Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week, if you would like to follow along in your Bible, um, you can turn to, Gal- or, yeah, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is ultimately where we're going to end up this morning. Um, last week, we began what, what we're sort of calling like the third chapter of this series that we began at the start of the year. At the start of the year, we began a series looking at the Holy Spirit. And, and this week, or last week, we really began sort of our third chapter in that series as, as we've kind of walked through this understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and, and, and that the Holy Spirit is for us. And, and now we're talking about the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in us. That I have the gift of the Holy Spirit, so what does that actually mean for my life? What does it mean for us to live a spirit-filled life? What does it mean for us to be a spirit-filled church? And that's a phrase that people in Christian circles will use to talk about churches. Um, it's kind of like our Christian code words that, that sometimes we, we, we end up de- developing our own, our own lingo. Whereas Christians, we say one thing and we really mean something else by it, but we have a word for that. Like if I was to say to you, we're having a fellowship after the service today. Oh, we're having lunch. That fellowship does not mean food at all. But, but we will talk about, we're having, we're having fellowship after church. Oh, that means we're having lunch. It doesn't mean that, but it means that. And so when we talk about being a spirit-filled church, when somebody, are you a spirit-filled church? Are you, is that a spirit-filled church? When they're talking about that, really what it means is they're asking, do they believe in the Holy Spirit? Do they believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week, do, do they believe in them and do they happen? And if you really boil it all the way down, if you strip away sort of all the layers, what you end up is with really they're asking, do they speak in tongues? Is it a spirit-filled church? Does that, do they speak in tongues? Is really if you boil it all the way down to, to the brass tacks, that's often what we mean when we talk about things like this. And really, that's why last week, if, if you were with us last week, I said that there's really two ways that the Holy Spirit makes a difference in our lives. And I said, last week, we're going to talk about the first one. This week, we're going to talk about the second one. And the reason why we started with the gifts of the Spirit is because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that's often the first and maybe only thing that our mind goes to. Oh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. That must mean that we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. That that must mean it. That that's what it means. Because that's where most people start. And and so that's where we we started. And while I would say that that's not entirely wrong, that to talk about the Holy Spirit is to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. It's not totally wrong, but it... It's also not complete. 
It's not wrong, but it's not complete. Because the Holy Spirit does so much more in our lives than just the gifts of the Spirit. And so if we reduce the Holy Spirit down just to the gifts of the Spirit, we're we're missing out on who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. Last week, we talked about how the gifts of the Spirit weren't a state of being. They were just for moments. There there were moments in our lives where where the Holy Spirit comes and and interjects himself into our life and brings a gift that otherwise is impossible for us. Otherwise, we can't do it on our own. And so there are these moments where the Holy Spirit brings the supernatural into the natural. But today I want to talk to you about something else that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives, something else that the Holy Spirit does in us that is much more a state of being than a moment. Something that is much more tangible than just these moments in life where the supernatural invades the natural. It's still a supernatural work in us, but it looks different. But before we go and we talk about Galatians chapter 5, I want to take a quick detour to to something that Jesus talks about in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is giving essentially what amounts to a sermon. He gives this really long talk that takes up multiple chapters of the book of Matthew as he he just kind of preaches to this crowd. He, and he talks about all kinds of different topics. Um, and he's giving this, this sermon on the side of a mountain. And so we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And so in, in the middle of this sermon that Jesus is giving, we, we come to Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks to us about how we're able to recognize false teachers. Now, now that's not really our topic for this morning, but as we explore what Jesus has to say about false teachers, it's going to help us to understand our topic for this morning. So starting in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus will say, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. And so that's Jesus setting the context. And that's, that's kind of the part that, that we're going to set aside a little bit for today. But then Jesus says this. He says, By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Jesus, he gives us this illustration of of grapevines and fig trees. And and he tells us that when we see grapevines, we expect them to produce grapes. You see a grapevine, your mind should immediately go to grapes. It shouldn't go to, I wonder if we'll get apples this year. It shouldn't go, I wonder what fruit our grapevines are going to produce. When you see a grapevine, you know objectively it's going to produce grapes. 
And, and he says that, that you wouldn't come to a field of, of thistles and, and, and thorn bushes and expect to harvest fruit. Because thorn bushes don't grow grapes. Thorn bushes grow thorns. Exactly, Lucas. Thorn, they grow needles. They grow thorn bushes. Jesus is saying, you produce what you are. If you are a grapevine, you will produce grapes. If you're a thorn bush, you will produce thorns. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus isn't giving his followers HGTV advice on, on how to garden. But he, he's drawing a metaphor for our lives. And what he's telling us is that if your life doesn't produce good fruit, there's something wrong. That, that how you know someone is not necessarily in the way they present themselves. How you know someone is not necessarily maybe in the words that they choose. How you can really know someone is not necessarily the way that they come across. But the best way to know if someone's heart is good, if someone is good, is to look at the fruit their life produces. And, and because we see Jesus telling us that the best way for us to see and understand what's going on in someone's life is to look at the fruit of their lives. And for our time together today, I want to suggest to you that while this may be a way to identify false teachers, it's also best, the best way to see and understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by the fruit that's produced. And so what kind of fruit is produced by the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, in Galatians 5, we're told exactly that. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Starting in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul will say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, obviously, these are not as flashy or wow-inducing or supernatural or maybe weird as, as the gifts that we talked about last week. But what Paul tells us, what the Bible tells us, is that when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, these things will be the fruit of it. That that will actually be the fruit. The, the way that we will be able to know and recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the fruit that will be produced because the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. When we go back to the analogy that Jesus gave us about the thorn bushes and grapevines, we were like thorns. That, that we weren't able to produce good fruit. But by God's grace and by the Holy Spirit working in us, we are now transformed into people that are able to produce good fruit. And Jesus told us that, that we will know people and we will know truly who they are 
by the fruit that their lives produced. And so, if we have the Holy Spirit, how do we know? Is it by the gifts? By prophecy? By healing? By speaking in tongues? Well, yes. But it's more than that. Because Jesus didn't say, you will know them by their gifts. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. And so perhaps the question that we need to talk about less when we ask people when it comes to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, perhaps the question we need to ask less is, have you spoken in tongues? And instead, we need to ask, can you see the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Can, can you see in your life a tangible change in the fruit that your life is producing because of the presence of the Holy Spirit? Instead of having this focus on moments, we can have a focus on our state of being, on who we are. And so, what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's supposed to be growing in our lives. What, what does the Bible say is the actual fruit of the Holy Spirit? Well, last week we looked at the nine gifts that are listed, and today we're going to look at the nine fruit that's listed in Ephesians chapter 5. But before we begin that, I just want to make one thing clear. Like we did last week, some of these things, in fact, all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit are not things that you can only receive from the Holy Spirit. In the sense that is to say that, that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot experience any of these things in any way, it's impossible. That, that's not true. Every single one of these, we can all experience in a form without the Holy Spirit. But we cannot experience the Holy Spirit form of these things without the Holy Spirit. That every single one of these, whether you're a believer or not, no matter who you are in this world, you have the capability of giving and receiving love. You don't, we don't need the Holy Spirit for that. But we do need the Holy Spirit to give and receive Holy Spirit love. Does that make sense? All right. So we're going to move through these fairly quickly. Um, first, we're going to talk about love. And it's no coincidence that Paul puts love first in the fruit of the Spirit. Love is a constant theme all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we're told that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. We're told that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus will identify those two things as the two greatest commandments that we have to live up to. Love. Jesus will tell us that the world will know that we are the followers of God by the way that we love one another. That love is at the core, at the heart, at the very center of our faith. John 3.16 will say that for God so loved the world. God's motivation in sending his son was love. We are called to be a people who love. Love comes first. But the love that Paul is talking about here, there, there, there's four Greek words for love. They had four words for love. They had a word that, that was like a romantic love. Husband and wife Engaged couples, um, 
thing, you know, romantic love. We, we had friendship. There's a word for friendship love, the, the love that you experience between two friends. There's, there's a, a word for family love, that, that the love that the parents have for their children, children have for their parents, brothers and sisters, those kinds of things. But then there's this other word that sits above all of them, and the word is agape, and it, it's like a God love. It's the way that God loves. It's a pure love, a selfless love, a self-sacrificing love. It always seeks the best for others, even enemies at all costs. And this is the love that God showed for us when, when he sent us his son. And so as we look to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in us, it's not just, oh, I have the capability to, to love my wife more. Or it's not just, I have the capability to love my children more. I've got the capability to love my family or my church or my friends more. But it's this godly sense of self-sacrificial love. That, that as I grow up, I have in the Holy Spirit and I have more of the fruit of the Spirit. The love that it looks like is it's a love that gives. It's a love that sacrifices. It's a love that offers myself for God and to God. And so we don't develop that kind of love naturally. The kind of love that we all develop naturally is a, is a if-then kind of love. If you do this, then I will kind of love. That's the love that we have between people. And the love that we are promised, that we are given as a fruit of the Spirit, is not an if-then. It's just an I will. The next kind of, or the next fruit of the Spirit is joy. And th this is another thing where, where we don't say, oh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't experience joy. Yes, yes, you can. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, the joy that we experience is not because something's joyful. It's, it's not because things are a certain way and so it allows me to feel joy. There, there's a verse that we often will quote to each other that, that we, will, we will quote, and, and we quote it all kinds of times. In fact, probably most of the time completely out of context, but it's a verse that we, we like to reassure each other with. And, and we will say to each other, the Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And, and the Bible does say that. And, and it is true. But when we understand it more in context, what Paul is writing about is he says, you know, I know what it's like to be important. And I know what it's like to be incredibly unimportant. I know what it's like to be respected. And I know what it's like to be beaten up. I know what it's like to be rich. And I know what it's like to not have a home. I know what it's like to live in all of these different circumstances. And so then he says, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the reason why he can do all of this is because he's telling us it's not your circumstances that bring you joy. It's not your circumstances that allow and shape how you feel about life, but instead I can do whatever because of the presence of God in my life. And so when we understand joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, it's not a joy because some dear friends got engaged. It's joy because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life.
I still haven't announced anything. I just, it's a random example that showed up in my brain. The next, the next fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace is this unshakable inner calm that can be quite rare in turbulent times. There's this story from the life of Jesus where Jesus and his disciples, they're in a boat and, and they're crossing the, this large lake. And as they're crossing the lake, this, this huge storm rolls in. And it's such a large storm that many of the disciples who are fishermen by trade. So, so they've been out in the lake on storms. Anybody who's, who's been a fisherman for any long time, especially vocationally, knows how to handle themselves in a storm. But this storm is so severe that these disciples, these professional fishermen, are afraid for their lives. And they start panicking. And they start freaking out. And somehow, someway, Jesus, who is not a fisherman by trade. Jesus is not responding the way he's responding because, oh, I've been through this a million times. Jesus, who's a carpenter by trade, whose feet were firmly planted on solid ground, he's asleep in the bottom of the boat. And, and these, these fishermen are freaking, because they're going to die. And they, they go and they wake Jesus up and they say to him, Jesus, don't you even care? Like, we're going to die here, and you're asleep. And in this moment, we get this picture of what the presence of the Holy Spirit, what peace from God looks like. Because as these disciples are losing their minds... They're freaking out. They are afraid they're going to die. And the winds and the waves are crashing all around them. Jesus, who was asleep, stands up in the boat. And he looks at his disciples. He looks at his followers. He looks at the wind. He looks at the waves. He looks at this incredible storm. And what does he say? He says, peace. Peace. Paul will write this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, present, or with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, the peace that Jesus had in that boat could not be understood. That's why the disciples looked at him and said, you don't even care that we're dying. Because they couldn't understand the peace that Jesus brought with him. And then it makes this incredible promise. This peace, which we cannot understand, it's not reactive. It's proactive. The peace that God gives us, it says it will guard your hearts and minds. That doesn't mean that it just simply will, when your heart and your mind need peace, it will be there. But it says that when things come to rob your peace, it will stand in the way. It will, it will guard your heart that there will be times when you should not have peace and your heart and your mind will be protected by the fruit of the Spirit in your life. 
that you will look and you will say, I'm in a boat and I'm going to die and I have peace because of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Next is forbearance. Um, this is really just a big word for patience. It's a big bible sounding word. We, we, sometimes when we translate the Bible, we like to translate it into like big, important-sounding words. Um, but patience is really what it's talking about. Forbearance means patience. If you, if you have an older translation, you might have the, the phrase long-suffering here. And, and that's always one that I never really liked because it makes it sound like, and a fruit of the Spirit is that you get to suffer for a long time. And that doesn't sound like something I really want in my life. But, but we understand that the fruit of the Spirit brings patience. And, and we all know that in the world that we live in, it's hard to be patient. It's hard to wait on things. That, that increasingly and increasingly and increasingly, we live in a world where like on demand isn't fast enough anymore. You know, that like now, and even this is even old, but like you, can, you, you don't even have to type into your TV remote now. You talk into it. Because typing took too long. I, I can't take 40 seconds to pull up my show. I need it now. You know, that you go and you log on to a website and the little wheel spins once and we're like, what is happening? Honey, internet's broken because the little wheel spun one time. That We live in a world where, where patience doesn't exist. Where if it's not the way it is and the way it should be, then it's not going to happen. That patience doesn't exist. But yet what we see here is because of the, pro- the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, because of the Holy Spirit at work in me and through me, I should be becoming more patient. It doesn't mean that I become patient in an instant, that I receive the Holy Spirit, and now I'm the most patient man who ever lived. But what it should mean is that I should be able to look at my life a year ago and see that I'm more patient now than I was then. I should be able to look at, maybe it's just a little bit, but I should be able to look at my life five years ago and see that I'm growing in patience. I should be able to look at my life 10 years ago and hopefully that guy's not even recognizable anymore because of how much I've grown. Next, the fruit of the Spirit that we're listed is kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is, is or this fruit of the Spirit, it's the natural overflow of love. This is the tangible expression of that love. That, that if I'm growing in my love, then the natural overflow of that is that I should be more kind to people. That the natural state of love is kindness. And that's why scripture will tell us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Because God's kindness is the expression of his love. And so for us as followers of God, with the Holy Spirit at work in us, our kindness will be the natural expression of the love that's growing in us. And Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, will kind of talk to us about what this looks like. He will say, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. What does kindness mean? It means being compassionate. It means forgiving. 
And so as our, our love grows, our kindness becomes the overflow. The next fruit of the Spirit that's listed is goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is the attribute of being moved to action. And so what that means is that as the fruit of the Spirit grows in me, one of the fruit that my life should produce is that I should live my life in a good way. And what does that mean? It means godly morals. It means godly motivations. That, that as I live my life and the fruit of the Spirit grows up in me, the natural result is that I should be being drawn a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer to live in like Jesus. That the goodness that is the fruit of the Spirit is the development of godliness in us. And again, it's not an instant. It's not a momentary thing. It's years and years and years of development in us as, we be, as we're drawn closer and closer and closer. A couple more. Are we doing okay? All right. I know these are long lists. Last week and this week, you're getting listed out. I promise we will not have nine things next week. I can probably cut it down to like seven. Um, but yeah, ten. That's right. Um, we're just getting warmed up. Um, the next one is faithfulness faithfulness as a fruit of the Spirit. That, that means trustworthiness, loyalty, consistency, dependability. That as we are, are growing up in God, as we are developing the fruit of the Spirit, these are the things that people should see in us. That when people look at us, when people think about us, we should be seen as, as faithful. And, and faithfulness is very important to God because it's at the core of who God is that scripture will tell us that, that God is faithful even when we're not faithful. God remains faithful to us. And so no matter what life brings us, as we grow up in God, we begin to develop the qualities that allow us to be faithful to him and to other people. James chapter 1 actually makes us a promise about our faithfulness. James chapter 1 will say, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the one who is faithful. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That as we walk through life and we face difficulties and trials and tribulations and all those bad things, as we remain faithful to God, the Bible promises us that there's a reward for being faithful. Next is gentleness. The way that we engage with other people is what gentleness is all about. Knowing how and when to use gentle words is such a valuable gift of the Spirit. And I wrote especially, but I think that's not strong enough, a strong enough word. I think it's almost primarily and maybe even exclusively we see the gift 
of, of the Spirit, we see the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness in moments when we have no desire to be gentle. That it's easy to be nice when people are being nice. But it's hard to be gentle when unkind words or actions are the response that I want. That couple of weeks ago, we were dropping Theo off at school. And we're always late when we drop Theo off from school. Getting three kids out of the house just doesn't work. So Theo's always, I see Crystal, on, and it's always like, she's well on her way away from the school, and we're just pulling up. Um, but I dropped Theo off at school the other morning. And because we're late, I like drop him off right at the crosswalk that he has to cross because there's no other cars there. So, And he gets out and he goes to cross the crosswalk. And there's a car coming from the other direction. And it doesn't stop. And they weren't going fast and it was not nearly as dangerous as that sounds like. But Theo gets out and he's crossing and this other car goes right by. My immediate reaction was I was unrolling that window. Like, it was cold out, but they, that per, they were going to hear about what... And Yvonne said, don't do that. <laughs> the fruit of gentleness is in the moments when gentleness isn't on the table. If nothing else, they were going to know that, hey, watch, please watch for kids as they cross the street. Thank you. I sure was what I was going to say. Um... <laughs> But gentleness is when things are tense, when things are hard, when, when our emotions run high. The fruit of gentleness is to be able to put all of that aside and say words of life and grace and truth. The last of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Paul concludes his list of the fruit of the Spirit with self-control. Because we're, we're human. And maybe you've never been told this before. And if you've never been told this before, I'm sorry that this is the venue that you're going to have to hear this in. But if you've never been told this before, maybe you've been told this lots of times. But you're flawed. You are not perfect. Maybe you've never heard that before, but I trust that you probably have. But you're not perfect. There are areas in your life that we don't always do well. There are areas in our life where maybe we know we should be different, maybe we should try and be different. There are areas in our life where things are not the way that they should be. And so God gives us the fruit of self-control so that we don't have to continue to live that way. As followers of, of Jesus, we are given the power in God's Holy Spirit to help us identify and overcome our weaknesses. And as we read this morning, that it's in our weakest places where God shows himself the strongest. That, that God doesn't identify our weaknesses so that we know the areas we have to fix. God gives us 
knowledge of our weakness. God gives us the self-control in our weaknesses so that he can show us where he's going to help us be fixed. And so that's the areas of our lives that are affected by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we are not transformed overnight into super people. And, and don't hear that or don't expect that of yourself, that maybe as we move through this list, maybe there was one, two, six, or nine areas where you were like, oh, I'm not very good at that. And as we move through the list over and over again, you were thinking, I don't know that I have the Holy Spirit. Know that it's not an overnight switch that goes off. But what we see here is not a list. It's not an inventory of things you need to work on. But what we see here is a list of nine promises from God. That God promises you, if you are, if you are weak in this area, I'm going to show myself strong. I'm going to help you to grow in these areas. I'm not telling you to do this. I am promising you that I am going to do this. But it's important for us to note that God doesn't, or that, that Paul doesn't write that the, these are the nine fruits of your own efforts. That, that these, are, these are not nine things that you have to get better in. But Paul tells us that these are the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit alone through God's grace who develops the fruit of the Spirit in us. It's the Spirit's power that transforms and molds us into becoming more like Jesus. But it doesn't just happen. See, we do have a part to play. It's not our own work. It's not. It's the fruit of the Spirit, but at the same time, we do have an important part to play in this. A couple verses after Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 25, he will say, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Our job is to lean into the Spirit. Our job is is to pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. My job is to pray that the fruit of the Spirit would be developed within me. My job is to trust that God's going to develop the fruit of the Spirit in me. And my job is to believe that the fruit of the Spirit is the right thing even when it goes against my own thoughts and my own actions and my own desires. That patience is right, even when I feel like I don't have any patience left. When that person's just been leaning on your last nerve and you cannot take it anymore to believe that patience is okay. That, that gentleness is the right response, even when they really ticked me off. That, that joy can be found in the most difficult situations. That those people, that person in your life that just bugs the living daylights out of you. That you just can't stand them. 
you're supposed to love them. And to know that, and to believe that I should, I can, and I will. That they can, of course, somebody should love them. But to recognize that it's the right thing for me to do, for me to love them. So being in step with the Spirit is walking with the Holy Spirit, trusting the Holy Spirit, and believing the Holy Spirit even over myself. We have been given these nine areas, not as places to feel condemned over, but as promises to camp on. That in your life, as you look at this list, if you think, I am just not a patient person. I've got good news for you. If you look at this list, you say, I I don't even know how to experience joy. I've got good news for you. If you look at this list and you see yourself in, in some of these or none of these, in the areas where you don't see yourself, I've got good news for you. These things are developed in you. They're not developed by you. And so we thank God that in our weakness, he shows himself strong. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that even in a list like this, we have the opportunity to see and to know and to recognize and to understand that you know just how broken and frail we are. That as we look at a list like this, we we know that you have to promise these things to us because you know that we don't do these things well. And God, I thank you that your word to us on this is not guilt and it's not shame and it's not somehow that you better get your act together, but that in each one of these areas we read a promise a promise that you will be at work in us, that you will develop these things, that when we're not these things, God, your strength is made perfect in our weakness and that you will develop and grow the fruit of the Spirit. And so, God, my prayer for each one of us here today, my prayer for for each one is that we would be good ground for the Holy Spirit to grow that we would be good ground for for the character of the Holy Spirit to be produced in our lives, that we would be able to look back on our lives one year from today and be able to look back and say, wow, have I changed. Look at the work of the Holy Spirit. I know I have the Holy Spirit because look at what he's done for me. Look at what he's done in me. God, I pray that we would be able to walk in step with you that we would be able to trust you, believe in you, and allow for you to work in our lives. God, we want everything you have for us. And so, God, we pray that you would be at work in our lives, in us and through us, and allow us to grow and to develop into the people you've called us to be. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm tired of forcing moments, conjuring up emotions, put your name on it. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. 
and we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Lord, we need you. God, we can't do what only you do. Holy Spirit, lead.